Are we recording? No, too much, too much, too much, too much. All right, everyone. Hey, everyone. Bienvenidos a la platos juntos. Sorry. Bienvenidos a la platos. Miran juntos. Soy Kylie. Soy Josh. Y hoy hablamos a los películas de different countries. <laughs> International film? Películas internationales. Sure. Yeah. Wow, we did it. We did it, everybody. A whole episode. Yeah, in in a foreign language. We did it. Well, okay, no. Like, yeah. We finally did a whole episode on foreign language films. It only took us nearly <laughs> 300 episodes. But I did it for all of you. <laughs> <laughs> I think... I did it for all of them. Let's be honest. Which one of us complained about? <laughs> I just, I don't know. <laughs> Alright, Josh, why are we doing this? Uh, well, first, Inquiry of the Half Fortnite. Josh. Yeah. If you could meet any director who has only made foreign language films, who would you meet? I'm gonna meet Hayao Miyazaki. He's still alive. There we go. Um, I love his films, and I think that they're beautifully animated, and I think he's got a really unique point of view on the world, and I would just love to pick the brain of one of the great cinematic masters, somebody who I think is as influential on his culture as a Walt Disney is to ours, or, you know, and I think that Miyazaki is also influential the world over in that way as well. If, uh, yeah, so... Yeah, Hayao Miyazaki. That's what I'm gonna do. Who you got over there? I'll take Xavier Dolan. Yeah? What, uh... You'll find out, Josh! Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, why then, my friend? Why? He's great. <laughs> yeah. Good old Kylie with the real in-depth answers. I got your back, Josh. Thank you. I appreciate that. I think that him as a director, he's just very, he's kind of like a build yourself up from the ground where he started making money being a child actor so that he could put out his first film and just the love and effort that he puts into his films and the complex subjects that he focuses on are very interesting and intriguing. Nice. And I want to meet him and be like, hey bro, high five. And he'll probably be like, yes, high five. He's Canadian, but he makes French films. Uh, is he from Quebec? Yes. That makes sense. I'm pretty sure. Yes. Montreal, Quebec. Canadian. We're the same age. Wow. How many films does he have? Enough. I mean, not that <laughs> it matters either way. I was just curious, like, to be in your mid-twenties and One. to be... Two, three, four, five, six, wow. seven, eight. Wow. He's working at a good pace. Yeah. He's going to be in It Chapter 2. He's going to be in It Chapter 2? He's also in, um... He was in Boy Erased. He's in Bad Times at the El Royale. Alright. He's also an actor. He All of his roles are pretty small. His uh his role in it chapter two, which I've read about, is 
it's a very small bit part, but important to the movie, I guess. It's Pennywise the Clown. Yes. Yeah. Small, important bit part, but essential to the movie. Bitcoin. 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 Oh, does he, does he have stake in Bitcoin? Bitcoin. Okay, great. Xavier Dolan. Friends, if you want to answer the inquiry of the Half Square Fortnite, which is, which living foreign language film director would you like to meet? You can do so at friendofafriendpodcast.squarespace.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts at night. Give us a five-star review or any star review, as well as hit that subscribe button. (laughs) (laughs) You can also find us on Facebook. And now, on with the show. Kylie, you asked why we were doing this list. Um, so you brought in Cache as a film that we were going to do. And we were thinking, and it didn't get the love it deserved by the Academy. And so we asked ourselves, what other films that are recognized in American culture by at least American film film people that didn't get the recognition? And that's why we are here to give recognition. I am the recognition giver, and I shall recognize you for your films. Oh, and I have a real basic list here, my friends. Josh. No worries. It's a good list. I think that all of these movies are indeed fantastic. However, nothing is going to surprise you about what is on my list or who is on my list or things along those lines. So, if you're looking for unique, go over there to Kylie. I have a pretty basic one. If you have it on your list, should I take it off of mine? Well, we'll find out. Do you have more that you could talk about? Sure. Mm. No, I'll leave it there. Yeah important to a film that is like really inspired by it and that film everyone is called the seventh seal oh are you just jumping in yes we don't like any rules any provisos any quid pro quos yeah it couldn't have been nominated for an academy award it also had to have been made after like the 40 whatever year 1947 1947 where that category became uh made I understand that they're changing the name of this uh, this award to something different, international film. Mm-hmm. So pardon us if we say foreign language film. We don't mean foreign as in a bad uh, way, um, but we, we mean foreign language as in something that is not English. Yeah. And so we don't take it as a bad thing. So I'm going to attempt to say international, but you got to be slow with me. But also in that same way, there's also films that can be made in America that are made in non-English. Therefore, like, international film is also, like... I don't... don't, So, yeah. Anyway. International film is what we're going to go International language. International language film. I don't know. Yes. Um, But technically, like, to me, the word foreign language film definitely, like, just rolls through that, like, if you speak French as your predominant language, then a foreign language film is an English film. Like, Mm -hmm. that is also true. Like, it's not a... We're doing it thing. by the Academy's stance, which yes. is an American yes. um, institution. Yes. Yeah. So, I, international films, here we go. Uh, the Seventh Seal is also on my list. Oh, okay. Ingrid Bergman. Ingmar Bergman? Yes. Comes in and he's like, hey everyone, what if instead of fearing death, some people are okay with it? In a uh, way. In a way. There are moments in there where there are the, he's talking to the poor and those who are less fortunate, and they don't they don't fear death, 
But when death approaches, they almost have a sense of relief and calmness about them. And that they've just accepted their own lives. Yes. There are other ways that, in it, because the whole thing about, like, not the whole thing, but parts of this is that it's the the cliche, and this makes the cliche of you have to fight, you have to play death, or you have to beat death in order to gain more life, which goes on to influence the greatest film, the second greatest film of the Bill and Ted series. The greatest film of the Bill and Ted series. Uh, Ooh, here we go. All right. This is what we're talking about. Josh. Yeah. I will say it's the greatest scene (laughs) in the Bill and Ted series. All right. Maybe one day we'll have this battle out, because I'm definitely on Bogus Journey's side. I know, Josh. We've had this conversation. You know why I don't like Bogus Journey as much? I know. It's a stupid alien. It just yells, Station. I hate it. I want it to die. Station! I fear that it's going to be in the third one. I'm just going to be like... Yeah, but it's going to be one of those things where he's just going to be over in the corner, like, drunk and yelling his name, and then we'll see him once and we'll call it a day. I don't need that at all. No, I don't either, but... Uh, no. so that... He needs to go back to heaven. Yeah. That'd be so sad. That needs to be back here. Listen, if Keanu's on board, I'm on board. <sighs> Replicas. <laughs> we gotta earn paychecks, Kylie. For Keanu Industries. That's right. Alright, sorry. Seventh Seal, go on. And it's just, it, it deals with the themes of how to view death in a way that in a lot of American films we don't necessarily always view death in the most healthy regard. In a lot of ways it's some of the biggest fears and that might, that's also true internationally. However, it's done in a way where acceptance of death is part of the story and the journey and the themes of it and that, you know, it's I agree with you that's part of the journey, mm-hmm. but what I, I guess what I want to say is what I saw in the film and what I was encountering with when I was watching it was, I think that there's a lot of doubt in this film, and that's doubt about what the next journey is going to be, doubt about religion, doubt about your place in that religion and in the world, and this takes place around the time of like the medieval crusaders, because Max von Sydow plays this like... Uh, squire. The squire who is... He's con- a nihilist, Donnie. It's fair, he is. <laughs> he doesn't care about anything. Um, Who comes back and comes back from the Crusades and is trying to get home and uh, encounters death along the way. And, and coming back from the Crusades, we have an idea of like, oh, you've already seen lots of this surrounding you. Yes. And what does it mean to follow your faith in order to do the things that you have done on the battlefield? And yes. where does that leave you with your ideals and how you're gonna deal with like your own mortality yeah i mean and your own soul yeah and that that's what is all is in here to me and so i think that his journey to the film is coming to acceptance for death but even like the penultimate chess scene is the one where so he challenges death to a game of chess which is where not the the origins of that idea that visual imagery comes in but it's the modern origins of the idea because the other ones were like drawings from the religious times of stuff. This anyway. is the one that really popularizes it in film and television. Yes. Um, it doesn't popularize it in literature. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the visuals of what we see death to be represented as come from the seventh seal. Um, but in that second to last game, uh, Max von Sydow's character uh, knocks the chess pieces over because he's knows he's going to lose and he's still fearful of doing that as well he's like oh no we have to start over because uh the pieces are there and death's like no no i got this um 
something that I do want to say about the seventh seal before I move on from it real fast is the seventh seal, I think, and especially Bergman in particular, represent this kind of difficult to get into European film, maybe even Swedish film in particular, that seems like it's really heady. There's a lot of psychodrama going on. There's a lot of imagery. I found, and the reason why The Seventh Seal makes my list is because I actually found the film really modern and really acceptable, like really palatable. Um, it makes it makes this journey make a lot of sense. There's a character in here who I think is is one of the actors that they, they meet along the way, and it's unclear at first if he has visions and can see, but then see, like, death and the paranormal and the beyond. But then as the film goes on, it becomes really clear and clear. And if you're willing to watch this movie, and again, because of some of the barriers that I have, movies that are visually active and that are telling me the story visually are really important to me. And that's what I like about The Seventh Seal, is that it is a very visually active film. It's not necessarily just relying on its dialogue. And so I think that if you are interested in getting to know Bergman's films, because Seventh Seal is not, like, from my research, um, is maybe, like, his number two. That's like, his number one. Uh, Persona. Like, Persona oh, yeah. is the well, one that everybody is like, Persona. I've not seen Persona. Yeah. So, um, sure, everyone. <laughs> uh, I think that this, this film also doesn't just do the clear-cut black and white of good and evil. Yes. Which is most represented by this woman who is going to be put to death and they do something interesting with the with the way of how she goes and deals with the fear and terror that she's feeling that I think a lot of times we would not be willing to take as big of a risk in a, in a wide released film in the United States. This may be an indie thing that they would be willing to do. A lot of the a lot of the things that I say when I say like you know, an American audience may not be willing to accept this. I'm mostly spoke, speaking about a wide, yeah, I a agree. Wi a, 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 like a nationwide. However, I think that there are some indie directors who would be willing to take passes at it. However, it's still a unique style because yeah. it comes from a different voice than our own. Well, and that's what I've really liked about exploring a lot of uh, international film is that, you know, we see things through our lens and how and even in looking at that diverse lens an American lens is an American lens to some extent so watching a film from whether it be France or Sweden or Japan or Korea or Africa or you know wherever it might be there's a very specific point of view that they're putting forward whether they're trying to do that or not they are and I like engaging with those other point of views and engaging with what the world sees as, as you know, their their version of the world. So, yeah. Um, cool. Nice. Seventh Seal. Uh, Seventh Seal is technically my number four. Um, and so I'll run over to my number five. Uh, my number five is... I think the only film on my list that I encountered in film school, um, and that is Jean-Luc Godard's uh, Breathless. And Breathless is, it's a really, it's a simple story of a car thief, uh, a young car thief who in the midst of his kind of like thievery kills someone and then in his attempt to flee the country, he meets a girl and then tries to convince this girl to go with him to Italy. 
Sorry, what film was this? Breathless. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was not paying attention when you said it, <laughs> and so now I gotta look this up. Uh, so in 19, uh, in, I think it's 1960 is when Breathless comes out, and it's 60 or 61, I'm just not 100% sure on that. Um, Godard challenges so many of the cinematic standards. And he does this in this way that is uniquely him and that has this uniquely distinct voice. I've I've gone through and watched others of his films and he, he really brings this energy and this kind of poetic nature to his pieces but some of the things that he's doing here he's he's pushing the boundaries of what we thought was possible with cinema and there's stuff that we definitely use now on the regular but they were new and inventive here so he used a lot of jump cuts the jump cut hadn't ever really been used outside of like this mistake necessity in films until breathless and so that whole thing that we're just used to now of like jumping from one thing to another with like nothing in between and just that very abrasive cut um he didn't have a lot of a script he was improvising a lot with this he had a basic structure but that was really unique at the time and then he has this really circular way of using his dialogue um and 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 that plays and ties in with the kind of score which helps give this kind of very frantic, very energetic uh, film about these two characters and their their day in in Paris. And so I think that when you watch the film, it, it may be a little bit easy to see it as like, oh, this is kind of jarring. This is very, very, you know, standard in a lot of ways. But what Breathless created was used in so many other ways. And so, yeah, I, I really like Breathless. It was a, it's a good film um, and it's... It's something that I think we pull a lot of from whether it be the script point, the filmmaking point, the acting points. Everybody's great. It's all good. Breathless. Jump cuts. And it's not just jump cuts. Jump cuts. (laughs) Yep, you have Breathless to thank for YouTube. Jump cuts. Yeah. Hey, Kylie. Hey. What's your number four? I don't know. What should it be, Josh? Whatever you want to talk about next. Let's go with Bleak Night. I thought you were going to say Bleak House for a second, and I was like, Bleak House? Yes. I like Bleak House. What's Bleak House? It's a Dickens novel. It's not. It's not a book? Or not a movie? I'm sure there's been a Bleak House adaptation, um, but I don't know of a a non-English adaptation of Bleak House. This is a pretty bleak film. What's it called? Bleak what? Night. Bleak Night. Okay. Yeah about a dad after the suicide of his son and he's trying to figure out why it all happened and so he he essentially is trying to retrace his son's steps and through a lot of different trials and tribulations he ends up trying to figure out what ends up happening he does it through the guise of trying to talk to his son's two friends and as the film goes on so you see the the narrative we're following about the father going in a straight line but they cut in with other scenes to tell you the story of the son who committed suicide and what led to those events and as the film is drawing you drawing you drawing you and this is a very uh it's a very slow sad film as it pulls you and pulls you and pulls you when you finally figure out everything that's happened you're just left in a devastated kind of gush and you're sad i'm sad 
would be sad. It sounds sad. Do you want to watch it? Not, not particularly. Okay. I mean, I would at some point if you want to put it on the list. Watch it right now. Do we want to be sad right now? It's always fun to be sad. I don't know if it's always fun to be sad, but it can be fun to be sad. When when oh, okay. it, when was Bleak Night made? Two thousand ten. Two thousand ten. From and this point on, we're gonna be talking about mo- nah, which one from nineteen ninety seven. We're gonna be talking about modern day stuff, everyone. Mm, my most modern film from this point on is from the year two thousand. Um, Solaris. Yep, it's Solaris. Um, it's Simone. Um, who directed? Did you say who directed Bleak Night? No. Who did? Yoon Sung Hoon. Okay. So great. this is from Korea. Um, in its own ways, it's this coming-of-age film that follows the difficulties of um, a particular student. And I won't say that this is the entire story of South Korea, but it does show a perspective of South Korea and life for students that we may not always understand and see. Um, And also, it does a very good job of dealing with suicide in a way that's very palpable. I think that American audiences would also connect with it with just the pure raw emotion and talent between everyone that's involved here. Nice. Love it. Um, I definitely would watch that. Absolutely. Alright, let's put it on. Do you own it? No, I have Mommy. We could watch that. We could. We gotta convince Anne to watch anything tonight. Uh, <laughs> <sighs> Um, my number four is the seventh seal, so what's your number three? I think she owes us. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I have a token. Is, is this how you want to cash it in? <laughs> what's your number? Oh, so it's my turn again? Yeah, my oh. number four is seventh seal, so what's Josh, your number three? I'm going to go with, I'm going to change it up. Ooh. I'm going to go with Bean 17. The Zac Efron film? Mm-hmm. Okay, great. That's not what that Zac Efron film is called. It's called 17 again, I, I know. know. I can't mark it zero. I already changed it. Mark it zero. Walter? Uh, Being 17 is a French film uh, dealing with two boys who come from two separate lives um, in this French village. One of them lives up in the mountains, um, very far away from school, adopted, and has a little bit harder of a life, while the other one is the son of a soldier and a mother who is very many options in his life and lives in a very affluent part of town and what the film does is it puts these two characters at odds ends with each other and you have no idea why at the beginning you're watching it and then they just start fighting and you're like what's wrong with these two boys but as the film progresses you get to see how their relationship and how their attitudes to one another evolve and change into something that's much more complex than just a uh two guys who are at odds end with each other who are fighting throughout the entire film. I think that the film, um, especially for a French film, negates a lot of the tropes of a coming-of-age film, especially in French film, and of another genre, but if I say that genre, it'll spoil the film, so I will not say it. But it does surpass a lot of those tropes and kind of expectations that you would get from those films. All right. Nice. I think that our lists today are accidentally French heavy. Um, mm-hmm. I have another film that's French coming up, um, and so like as uh, yeah. So there's three of them. Um, what was the first one? 
breathless. Okay, then mine, then yours. Okay. Yeah. I have a Canadian French film, <laughs> but it isn't French, but it's not a French film. <laughs> yeah. Um, th- that, the reason I bring that up is actually because I think there is a lot of good cinema out in the world that's not from France. Um, France is a cliche, though, one of It is, yeah. France and, like, Japan and Hong Kong are, like, these very big cornerstones within American... Not big cornerstone, but they are the ones that have the most pull. Yes. But, like, something like South Korea, I think, is starting to emerge a lot more often. I think that Swedish and Danish are starting to emerge because they're messed up. Weirdly, I would also say that um, Iran and the Middle East, in particular, is also having a nice... Especially with Asghar Farhardi and his films. um, I think that they're having a moment as well. And, I mean, though it is... I, I'm interested to like Germany w- releases a Holocaust film every year, but there's also like something like Australia, which yes, I understand is is English, but like Australia and New Zealand are also a larger foreign market that's growing here in America as well. Um, do you have a favorite uh, country to Wait. watch films from? Yes. Yes. England. <laughs> <laughs> Good day, mate, England. I mean, yeah, sure. A non-primarily English-speaking country. Um, honestly, it's probably Denmark. Mm-hmm. Um, Denmark. The, the, here's the issue. Here's the issue with your question. Because it's a good question. But the issue is, a lot of times... So I have an idea of a filmmaker, right? Uh-huh. So let's go with Michelle Honick, okay? Who is Austrian. Okay. And sometimes he'll make an Austrian film, and right. sometimes he will make a French film. And so I can't just be like, oh, well, Austria for Michelle Honick, because a lot of his films are French films. Fair enough. Um, I, I Danish, Danish, Sweden, those right around there, they get a lot of the back and forths between a lot of people yeah. Yeah. who I end up liking. One of them being... Um, who's my guy? Oh, Yorgos Lanthimos. He's Greek, but, you know, I... <laughs> He's down here. <laughs> He's in a totally different place. So what I'm hearing is... I'm gonna go with... I'm gonna go with South Korea. What I'm hearing <laughs> is... Europe? You like Europe. Yeah, but I also really like Which Asia. is good. Yeah, no, yeah, fair. No, fair enough. I'm not saying that you don't like the other ones. I'm just saying that, like, if you... If you had to, like, pick... Um, I think mine's... Mexico. Mexico's a good... There's a Yours good is Mexico. Mine is not Mexico. It is. Why do you think it's Mexico? Because it was last time I asked this question. What? No. Yes, it totally was. Was it? Yes. Well, surprise, it's Japan It was now. the last time we did a foreign language film in some uh, capacity. Uh. I asked, what's your favorite foreign language film? Or foreign... Market of foreign language films. I mean, fair enough. And you were like, you know, I like Guillermo del Toro. And I like I do. Alphonse Colón. I do. And Inaritu. I do. I know. That's your correct answer. It's not my correct answer. Why Japan? I like uh, from what I from what I know of Japanese film and filmmakers, um, their films to me seem to. I can follow them and I can get engaged with them on this other level. I also like the way that Japan mixes in their past with their present and I think that their culture always is really 
at, sometimes at odds at each other, and I really like that struggle because I, I and maybe this is just personally within me, like I am at odds with my culture often, and so it, it, I like their films. I like the filmmakers. Um, I would probably say Japan, Mexico is a really solid answer as well for me. Um, but I think after doing some research, because well, the reason we were going to do this list earlier, and then we both wanted to do some research, and I, I definitely like went through that and like found that I think Japan is actually my right answer. Wow, like what are some films? Like what are some films? Yeah. Um, so I probably have more filmmakers that I could definitely point out there as well. Um, and yes, Miyazaki is one of them. Uh, my number one is from a Japanese filmmaker that I really like. Uh, my number two is a Japanese film. Um, I tried to so spread mine out a little bit. I just tried to go with films that I could <laughs> talk about and that I really liked. Godzilla? So, yeah, Godzilla. But yeah, also like Godzilla is really fun. Um, and I will say that there's a lot of animation that like though I don't love anime by any means there is a lot of good animation that comes out of there like your name it's right there there you go my number three is an Agnes Varda film we're heading back to France and we're going to talk about Cleo from five to seven um I really like what I've seen of Agnes Varda and let me let me say that out loud that is exactly two films um and I just happened to love both of those films, which is Faces, Places, and Cleo from 5 to 7. This was one of the films that I wanted to try to get to, just because it seemed really interesting to me of hers. I don't know if it is considered, like, her, like, big magnum opus kind of film, but it's it's the one that I was the most interested in watching, and I definitely want to watch more of Varda. Um, but this one comes from 1962 and follows this character of Cleo, who is a French pop star, a French musician, maybe is what I should probably say, actually. Um, and she is in her 20s, um, and she is possibly going to be diagnosed with a fatal disease. And so the film starts at 5 p.m. with her knowing that she's going to get a phone call in two hours. And then what it proceeds to do is, is it goes through her day and the film happens in just about real time. It's a little bit shorter than real time because the film is a little over an hour and a half long and it's claiming it's it, like it's five to seven, it's two hours, but it's just about real time that it, that it plays out in. And what this film does is I love how it just chronicles what this girl's life is like in trying to go from like this this height of kind of when you're in your mid-20s you kind of I'll just speak for me but also I, I kind of know that there are some other other people that feel similarly in that way of like you feel really brave and bold and like sickness and death and invincibility is not something or, or in, in like mortality is not something that really is in your brain all that often you're you're kind of you're young you're vital it's, it's all there um, and so to have a character in, in her youth that is struggling with these ideals of what is my legacy already? How am I going to look back on the world? How do I survive the, like, this disease if, it, if it's real? And like just watching her anxieties heighten as she's trying to then live her everyday life is really fascinating. And the actress whose name is, I think it's Corinne March Marchand? Um, she is amazing as Cleo. It's just, you see all of her fears and anxieties, but all of her joys and all of these things that happen to her in everyday life just right on her face. And she wears it, like, just on her sleeve. Um, I loved this film. I liked getting to spend time with this character. 
Um, but it was also really nice to think of, you just don't often see, maybe you do more now, but I still don't even think, you don't often see a female filmmaker with a female protagonist dealing with very distinct issues to this character. And like, this is a plot that I think you could see absolutely done with like, a man has to deal with his mortality and his masculinity and all this stuff. But like, to watch it from Agnes Varda and her main character's point of view, it just felt really nice to see something new and different and fresh. Um, but also it's from the 60s, which is not new and different and fresh, but the the themes still feel so incredibly modern. And just, I really like this film. Well, you didn't even bring up the feminine overtones about how it how French women, especially in French society, perceived women as self-obsessed creatures, yeah. which that film is trying to also kind of contradict with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it uses the repetition of mirrors throughout the entire film in mm-hmm. order to constantly show of like, oh, it's what's on the outside and blah, 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 but also to combat that. And so like, that's also something that that film yeah, is trying to do. And I it's love that. As one of the foremost of French feminist films. Yeah, it's it's an amazing film, and it definitely, if you haven't seen it, you definitely should. I will say a lot of the films that I uh, brought are that I have on my list are in the Criterion Collection, and if you don't have any access to the Criterion Collection, you can actually get their app and stream it. Um, but a lot of them are on Canopy, um, which is how I found most of these films. Hey, everyone. We're going to go to Russia now. Ooh. We're going to talk about The Fool. The Death of Stalin. Oh. That's not in... I know. Oh. I, it, was, it, was, it was a bad joke. I know, we, we, Josh. We, yeah. It's okay. Do you want me to cut it? Yeah, no. Leave it in and double it. Okay. Yeah. Hey, everyone. We're going to go to Russia now. Ooh. We're going to talk about The Fool. The Death of Stalin. Oh. Okay. So. <laughs> um, Russia. We're going to talk about The Fool! Yeah! Okay, so The Fool is a film I watched in an empty theater when I was in Bellingham because we had a independent theater, and I was like, I'm going to go see this film because I was excited for it! Yay! Uh. Hey, so no one saw this film. No one has ever seen this film. Just me and, like, five people on Letterboxd. We're all so excited to be here to talk about The Fool. Now, Josh... What's the most exciting thing that Russia could bring to the table? That's right. Housing politics. Josh, are you excited to watch a sit-down and watch a two-hour film about the housing politics? Heck yeah, I am. Yeah, you are. (laughs) Because this film is so, so good. As I've been saying, and as I said maybe with, like, Lincoln by Mr. Steven Spielberg, how I know how Lincoln ends. Uh I know how history goes. Yes, he lives happily to his old age and dies peacefully. Stop talking. Oh, sorry. And so we get so, we're still we're tense. Tense scenes. We're watching this politics about Russian housing and like the corruption of it all, and we're all so excited. We're so excited to watch. It's so engaging and so interesting. Josh, The Fool is a film where, as an American, I can watch and be like, I can see that I'm doing that here in America. And isn't that a little bit frightening? And when the climax hits and Oh, this guy who is just trying to do what's right and you're just like, yes, we're gonna do it. We're gonna fix the housing politics. And then... Then it happens. Oh, okay. <laughs> and we, we, we maybe do it. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah. All right, there we go.
and all, you're filled with emotions. Can you? Okay, if you can't answer this question without spoiling, don't. Okay. Who's the fool? I don't know. Okay. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. Several people. It's our main character. It's the people in the top of the the top of the cat tower. Uh huh. The men in the high castle, as okay. it were. Yes. One of them's a woman. Oh. Us as a society. Ooh, we're always the fool. Everyone's the fool. In Love this. it. Right. Um, the 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 person who they're referring to as a fool within the context of like the one who gets the called it is our main character who we're following, who bring who. I'll, let me be a little less vague about what this is. You don't. I mean, you don't have to be. Eh? Uh, this guy is a plumber. It's Mario. He doesn't do that anymore. Oh well, I mean, I don't know when this film was made. 2014. Okay. I saw it in Um, And what's happening is he goes and he looks at um, this apartment building and there's a low bearing wall in which a pipe bursts and it creates this huge crack inside of an apartment tenant's apartment. And so he goes outside and from on both sides you can see these two huge cracks that go like not all the way up but very high up and the foundation of the apartment is essentially falling apart. So this building is going to fall over at some oh. point. There's right. about 200 people living in it. That's not good. 800? It, it might be 800. That's a lot. That's 200 not good. is a better, is a more realistic answer. I mean, but fair. Alright. This has been my TED Talk. Thank you. Housing politics, Josh. They're good. We gotta fix They're them. They're solid. We do. Charlie and I watched it. There um, wasn't enough red for him. Oh, Charlie, it's a it's a film from Russia. What do you mean? There's a lot of red. <laughs> <laughs> there are flags everywhere, right? No. Oh, okay. No. The Fool is the coolest film ever. Yeah? Yeah. Love it. You should watch it. Okay, well. Let's watch it right now. Um, we were going to watch something else right now. Mommy? I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm going to let you know right now, you are not going to convince Anne to watch a foreign language film tonight. Uh, why? She's real tired of them. <laughs> why are you making her watch them? I'm not. It's just what I've had to watch over the last two weeks. I don't want to watch Cheers. You don't have to watch. I haven't Cheers. seen the first one. I I won't. Haven't seen the first episode. I won't understand the context. Uh, you will. It's the same episode just, over and over. I don't it's know a who, sitcom. I don't know who Norm is. You know who Norm is because you know his name. What does he do? Mm. See exactly. You don't know okay. either. Anyway, so you Josh, don't go need ahead. To know. Go ahead. You can watch. Literally, there are context clues. You can understand things. You can put it together. No. We're not gonna watch Cheers either, Kylie. Hey, you promise? Dude, are we going to watch Jeopardy? No. Because I left last time you, you guys put that on because I was like, I'm not watching Jeopardy. Well, no, I, I actually literally, like, at that moment, like, I was like, oh, we gotta we got to change something else. And then you were gone. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was afraid we are going to have to watch Jeopardy more. No. We're, we're out of Jeopardy episodes. Oh, good. Yeah. I need to stay here now. There you go. All right, Josh. Uh, my number two, I lied. It's not from Japan. It's from China. I lied. I I had something things wrong. But I'm here. Uh, my number two is the one on my list that I didn't get a chance to rewatch. But it is legit one of my faves. Argo. No, that's not from China. 
Um, my number two is Wong Kar Wai's In the Mood for Love. Um, Kylie was talking earlier about films that don't have enough red. Let me tell you what, there are lots of red in this film. Um, is it bloody? No. There's just a lot of really bold and kind of lush color choices that happen in the film, and so he uses color to represent different moods and energies and tones. Um, Wong Kar Wai creates this really beautiful kind of romantic film that is about two people who are stuck in this kind of swelteringly hot apartment complex at like the 1960s Hong Kong. Um, but their love is is difficult for for reasons that I'm not necessarily going to spoil. But they're not necessarily the mo- they, they can't. There are complications and obstacles in the way of their romance. And the film just has so much like romantic energy in it that you just you want these two people to be together. And they strike up this beautifully unusual relationship. And you just you get to live with them in this world that's that's full of just this color and the cinematography and the choices that Wong Kar Wai is making. And then he uses um, Nat King Cole like really well throughout this whole piece. And just it's just a really beautiful kind of romantic film. Um, and yet it's done in such these small with these small gestures in these the ways of like characters who are barely even allowed to touch. Um, and the smallest movement becomes the biggest action in the film. And it's just this really kind of beautiful, beautiful film about two people and love. And it's called The Mood for Love from the year 2000. Nice. Yeah. Any honorable mentions? I've got... The Silence. Two tickets to paradise. Happy in love. Um, I've got... Playtime, which I don't like. Seven Samurai. Your name. Why do you have an honorable mention on it that you don't like? Tradition. <laughs> Do you always have one on there that you don't like? I when there are things that everyone tells me is great, I feel the need that I have to mention it. Um, I mean, I can't. I I I just didn't put down things I didn't. I haven't seen. <laughs> I've seen playtime. I know playtime. Uh, <laughs> you're my- gonna love it. It's all about the visuals. Uh, yeah. Um. Do you have any more honorable mentions? The man from nowhere. I have Old Boy 2003 on here. I think that that is actually one that I could have very easily put on here. Um, just because I think that it has a context in American culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't, though, because it's I'm, I lacked it. And I think that it would be a way for American audiences to maybe... St- I mean, well, some people to get into foreign language film. Yeah, it's... It, it is difficult. Not It's a good movie. It is on my honorable mentions. Old Boy is a great movie, but I will definitely say that, like... There are those scenes. Yeah, and it, it, it created some hurdles for me, because Old Boy, I, I saw in 2003, when it was new, and it, I was like, I don't know, I think I might just stick to my American films. Should we watch the 2013 one? Nope. No need. Oh, can we watch Big Sick tonight? I like the Big Sick. Yes. Or be cool. And will you say that and will watch be cool with you? Do you like that one? Nope. Oh, you like Get Shorty, maybe. I like Get Shorty. <laughs> I don't love Get Shorty. Do you own that one? No. We own Be Cool because Anne likes Be Cool. We're, if there's a if there's 
there's a copy of Get Shorty there tomorrow. You're going to get it. I'm going to get Shorty? <laughs> yes. Okay. You're going to get Get Shorty. Uh, my other... Oh, sorry. <laughs> my honorable other honorable mentions are Tokyo Story, The 400 Blows, Agiri, Wrath of God, Ichimama Tambien, City of God, Old Boy 2003, and Rafifi. Also, The Hunt, but The Hunt was nominated for an Academy Award and it should have won. Uh, yes, that's why The Hunt is not here also. <laughs> um, I just want, I think that we need game recognized game. The Hunt should have won. <laughs> But it was nominated, so it that can't be on our list. That was the last foreign language film we did. It was The Hunt. All right, well, yeah. Wow. I was trying to remember what we did. Okay, sorry. It's a big deal for me, Josh. Yeah, it was a good movie. Someday I'm going to get you to watch them all. All the foreign language films? I think the next one I'm going to pull for is going to... Oh, I also have The Raid. Oh, yeah. And The Raid 2. All right, Josh. What's the next one you're going to pull for? You didn't finish that sentence. We're going to go with, I think, uh, an, a, an, well, we're going to do all of the uh, Bong Kang Ho. Yeah. I think I'm going to try and pull for a more visually action one. Because I think that, I think we can do it. Yeah? I think, yeah. A little less talky talk. That'd be good. There's a lot of like slow talky talk. I mean, honestly, like... Uh, I tried to watch, or not tried to watch, I got through Burning, which is the recent South Korean film, and it had been built up as, like, this genuine cinematic masterwork that, like, changed cinema. Um, I love it. It was fine. It's really well made, but, like, it's a lot of talky-talk, and it was really hard for me to follow because of that. And that's just, again, because of my personal disabilities. But do, you like, to, do you want me to, like, voice over it? Please, thank you. Yeah. I don't think it'll help. The the, the lead character is a charismatic vacuum. Like, I just I didn't care for him and his performance. And I get that that is kind of the point of that movie. Um, it was still, like, by the end of it, I was just not enjoying my experience watching that movie anymore. Um... And it felt like that's when I was supposed to be enjoying it the most, and that's when the plot kicked in, but, yeah. Sorry, Burning, it's on Netflix. It got a lot of really positive reviews last year. Mommy! Yeah. It's my number one. All right. It's your number one. <laughs> you don't want to talk about your phone? Mommy's on my 100 favorites list. Do I, do I need to leave the room so that I, I don't get spoiled for Mommy? No. Okay. Mommy is a film... Uh, okay, so... I'm going to compare it to another film that I love, and I actually have higher on my top 100, but I think that there are there are things that you can compare between the two. And so I'm going to talk about this maybe with a little bit with the context of we need to talk about Kevin, both of which are focusing on dealing with a young man with violent tendencies. However, one of them tells us that Kevin is pure evil, and we all agree. Uh-huh. Well, let's get this kid's name. Ezra Miller. Same Steve. <laughs> no, I knew it was a bland thing. <laughs> well, Steve. 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 You just talk about Steve? Well, Steve's violent tendencies are in and out and generally create him to be less of a just villain McVilkson. Uh-huh. Villain McVillain face. And make him more of a complex character. His relationship between him and his mom is one of the strangest unfolding relationships between a mother and son that I've seen in film. The way that 
the, their relationship mixed with their neighbor who joins the piece, it becomes so interesting to watch this kind of unit try to survive as somewhat of a functioning family. And overall, it it questions a parent's duty for their child after all else has failed. What do you do as a parent in order to help your child get the best future? But then it also questions, at one point, do you also need to think about yourself? And mommy does it in a way that it's not just, I gotta get Kevin into jail, because Kevin bad kid for Steve not the best kid but is there hope that we can change for the future it sounds like a little bit in some ways that mommy's main focus is on the kid whereas or maybe the kid parent relationship whereas we need to, we need to talk about Kevin is I, their central character is the Tilda Swinton character and she is the one that gets complexities and things like that and and the story that's that's reviewed there or seen there is mostly about like what is she doing then in the face of this terrible Demon. child yeah oh sorry <laughs> cloud cloud it's cloud yeah yeah uh mommy is like josh oh it's by xavier dolan ah. you're gonna experience this summer okay i originally was gonna have you watch mommy but then i chose tom at the farm Oh, this is not on my thing. I thought this was still. Okay, Tom no, at the Farm. I gave you Tom at the Farm. Okay. Is that also Xavier Dolan? Mm -hmm. Okay. He's your blind spot. Okay. You're not wrong. <laughs> He's a Canadian. Oh, eh. A Canuck. <laughs> there you go, eh. Um, this takes place... Well, actually, I won't say. Never mind. It's the ending of the film, All if right. I say, like, it go. takes place in this future. <sighs> Alright, um... My number one is the least surprising answer that there's ever been of all time. Do you, want, do, do you know what my number one is? Yeah. Yeah, what is it? I'm trying to get a silly answer. Oh, okay. <laughs> a, um, a, a bug. Roma. It's not quite Roma. That didn't uh, that get was... any love at the Academy Awards, did it? I mean, you know, only a little bit, you know, a tiny bit. Lost to Green Book, but, you know, one best foreign language film. So, one editing, yeah. one uh -huh, director. Yeah. But lost to Green Book. We did it, everybody. The Seven Samurai. The Seven Samurai. A seven Samurai, Bugs indeed. Life. A Bug's Life. Uh, Magnificent <laughs> Seven. Smack, Smack Seven. seven. Many, many other films. Our D&D &D um, game. Our, yeah, absolutely. Like, Magnificent. <laughs> the Seven Samurai is a film with such a strong concept, which also such a palatable concept for many different genres and di many different voices. But it Seven Samurai is very unique to all of these other choices that we've said. Now, I haven't seen the original Magnificent Seven. I'm making an assumption. Uh -huh. However, that concept is very is similar with, like, we're going to get the team or we're going to fight yes. the thing. Yeah. But it seems like it's very different and also centered within their own time frames and own countries of origin. I'm going to let you talk about this because... I mean, you're welcome to go. I mean, I mean it's your pick, but... It's, 
What do you think about Seven Samurai? Uh, Seven Samurai is is one of my favorite movies. I, I really love this film. It is it's long. It is three and a half hours. However, it is not unapproachable, and I actually never feel its length. What I do love about the movie is the way that Akira Kurosawa, who you'd ask me who would I want to have food with or dinner with or whatever, my answer was going to be Akira Kurosawa, but then he said he had to be alive, and so I had to change. Um, Rashomon. I like Rashomon, too. Rashomon. We can't pick count it. Um, Rashomon would have made my list had he not won the Academy Award for it. Yes. Um... Akira Kurosawa might be the director that I've seen the most, the foreign language director that I've seen the most of. He's just a filmmaker who, other than Miyazaki, probably, yeah. But I've not even seen all the Miyazaki films, I, and so it's definitely between those two. Um, Kurosawa, what I love about him and what makes him really accessible to me is he's he's in love with movement and he uses different types of movement in his shot whether that be the movement of nature the movement of groups the movement of individuals the movement of um the camera itself there is all kinds his shots though the characters may be static they are never in a still frame there's always something going something happening and that movement is not just for movement's sake that movement is there to help you tell the story it's there to enhance a plot point or enhance an emotion or enhance what's going to happen next or to guide your eye it is always there with this one with this wonderful sense of purpose and the other thing that uh, kurosawa has in him that i absolutely love has something in common with my boy Speely Babes up here. He's fantastic at blocking and staging of his actors. Oh, I thought you were going to um, say Orange Glow, and I was like, mm. Yeah, no, no Orange Glow. <laughs> um, and so what he does is, and there's several examples of this in Seven Samurai, where he will start in on, like, one set of characters on, like, a two-shot, and then he'll, like, come and he'll slowly pan the camera back and out and all of a sudden there's three or four people and that we're in an over the shoulder and as we keep coming around we see that we're in this giant group shot and it's it's these three or four different looks that are set up within one beautiful framing and beautiful staging and he's also really good at making sure that none of the actors are ever blocked or none of the actors are ever covered it's always there so it's un it's unnaturalistic but it works really well in the films because it feels really naturalistic um that's on display in seven samurai the story itself is is something that's wonderful and i love the way that he's playing with this idea of the samurai and he's playing with this idea of what it means and so he's going back and looking at the the past of japan and this film comes out two years after the occupation of the united states ends in japan so after world war ii the United States is in there, like, helping, quote-unquote, rebuild the country and kind of do all that stuff. And so two years afterwards, and what I really like about this movie is, is that the samurai represent one way of life, and the the um, bandits represent another, and then there's these farmers, these people in the middle, who are being asked to to survive within these two warring ideals and you can put whatever you would like to on each side of those ideals but what what i think is really important about it is that these farmers these people who get trained to be a part of this this journey this battle this they have to save themselves is that at the end of the day small spoilers for um for seven samurai 
the farmers are the ones who survive. They're the ones who move on. And that's the, the beautiful thing about this film is that what Kurosawa is saying is that the culture is going to be there long after we are and the past is going to die and the future is going to come and you need to be ready for it and we don't always have to hold on to our past traditions and this is the time in Japan when we are when they are very much moving away from what an old idea of what Japan is to the more modern kind of ideas and it's a long transition but it's transition nonetheless and I think that this film really does that um yeah, I love Seven Samurai. I could talk about it for, for a very long time. Um, uh, there, My specific favorite moment is uh, there's a character called Kukucho. Kukucho, who is the one samurai who's like not on a, like a formal samurai. And he's got um, this really beautiful monologue where prior to this, he's kind of this comedic character. But then he just breaks and he breaks down. And he talks about these farmers and how they're taking advantage of the samurai itself. And, and we just come to this realization that he comes from this lifestyle and I just it's a really beautiful moment that leads really well into the rest of the film um Seven Samurai it's it's really it's just an epic wonderful beautiful amazingly shot amazingly crafted amazingly performed um it's definitely like one of the best films that ever is yeah whoa bugs life whoa <laughs> whoa fair enough bugs life Seven Samurai I think we should do a comparison and then we'll rank the three okay Love it. On I board. think I already have the ranking. Yeah. I think okay. everyone who's listening has the ranking. Wait, which Magnificent Seven are we doing? Well, we already did the first one, so we got to do the, <laughs> the original. The old one? Or, sorry. We there did the go. new one. We got to do the original. Do you? So, like, I think one is clear. Uh-huh. Two and three? Who knows? Life's a mystery. Josh. You it's... may end up loving OG, seven, or OG Magnificent Seven. Yeah, I know. Oh. Number one is Seven Samurai, number two is Magnificent Seven, and number three is A Bug's Life. But A Bug's Life is really good! Yeah, I know. But only I see its majesticness. I don't think so. I think you... I mean, it's a good movie. And like I said, it's uh, that two and three spot's up for grabs. People don't understand. It's just so... <laughs> Do you have any thoughts on Seven Samurai you would like to share? No, I shared them. Okay. I just didn't know, you know, I'd been tired. I think Akira Kurosawa is one of those directors who, like, were like, yeah, he makes the cool films. However, I think that there's also a lot in his films that we use still today. Rashima, Rashima is one of those concepts and one of those styles that, like, community does their own version of a, yeah. a Rashima episode. Rashima, and if you don't know what that is, it's essentially... One event has occurred and everyone has a different story about it and you're yes. watching all of their different things. I watched this for the first time also in that indie theater because they did Japanese cinema once a month. They just had an old Japanese film and they had this once and I went and saw it and my professor was there. And I was nice. like, yes, I'm going to be his favorite student. And then I think I just annoyed him. This being Seven Samurai? <laughs> yes. Okay, great. I just... <laughs> You went from Rashomon <laughs> into that sentence, so just wanted to make sure that it was Seven Samurai, not Rashomon. I saw. I also saw Rashomon there. My yeah. professor, I did not see there. Huh? He he, he might had not enough. Have, he might not have been my professor at the time. Yeah. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. He All was right. only my professor one year. Nice. I also think if you struggle with foreign if you struggle with foreign thing. language films, I would definitely recommend Kurosawa because I think that because of his style that you can get through. You can engage with it more, but then also you have to be okay to watch classic film. 
Um, which I hate is a sentence that I have to say out loud, but like, yeah, I get that like classic film is, is a little bit harder to watch. Um, though I think Ron is, Ran, sorry, is new enough that it might not be there. What is happening? I love him so much. Who is this? David Ehrlich. <laughs> David. <laughs> it's correct. David, you took down, you took down <laughs> Carol. What did you do? <laughs> Is he wrong? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, he's not wrong because it's listed as his favorite films. So, yeah. There you go. Um, it's so funny. Can I ask you a question? I, before you got onto that, I was going to ask you a question. Um, can we watch all the Quentin Tarantinos tonight? Sure. All of them? <laughs> I mean, I don't need to sleep. Um... I, I will wait. What's up? I was going to ask you, um, is there a contemporary director who... Xavier Dolan. Who that oh. you think people could, that would be good to watch if they're trying to get into watching more foreign film? No. No? There's not one? No. They all suck. No. I mean, like... I mean, like, the answer that comes to mind is your ghost, but I don't ever recommend your ghost to people. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> so, no. Um, the other person that comes to mind is the guy who, I never remember his name, but he directed The Hunt, but I can't direct, I can't recommend most of his films, because they're also, like, reflects poorly on me as a person. <laughs> Xavier Dolan's pretty palpable with his, his ideals. I'll, I'll say him. Um, uh, yeah, the the Coron. Alfonso Coron. Yeah, Coron. If he makes more, I mean, like, I wouldn't recommend Roma to most people. So maybe not Alfonso Coron. <laughs> yeah, I like Roma, but it's long. I it's for certain people. Am I those people? Yeah, Josh. It was boring. I like that movie. It was boring. Yeah. Also, Quran, I think, has a really American sensibility to him outside of Roma. Sorry. I'm sorry, Josh. Gosh, I'll just never recommend No, that's person. not what I'm saying. I'm saying that to Quran to <sighs> himself. Like, yeah. I don't know. Who am I? Who? I don't know. I don't have an answer. That's why I asked you. You are, you are the expert in this field. That's false. That's the only thing about this. We could have picked 70 billion oh, people. Oh, yeah. We absolutely could have picked um, lots and lots and lots of other films. I don't care. You pick. Can name different films about millionaires. Blank check! Batman. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Iron Man? Oh, man. DuckTales? I don't know what that means. Yeah, I know. I was just going through the ones that I had in my brain. Aladdin. Richie Rich? Aladdin. Aladdin? Is yeah. he a millionaire? He becomes a prince. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Macaulay Culkin classic Richie Rich? I don't know how much money he has. I'm gonna... He, he, <laughs> he, I'm gonna say the person who uh, has their own private McDonald's is at least a millionaire. Josh, it's adorable that you think that I've seen that 
trash. I mean, listen, I, you were a child. It was popular at times. We didn't watch children's films. You watched The Mighty Ducks. Calm down. Where is this card? What is happening? It's because we like to play hockey. Alright, friends, if you want to join this conversation, and why wouldn't you, you can do so at friendofthefriendpodcast.squarespace.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. We can give us a five-star review or any star review, as well as hit that subscribe button. <laughs> that helps us get more listeners. You can also find us on Facebook at Friend of the Friend Podcasts. You can find us on Twitter at... BWT underscore podcast. YouTubes. Sucks Watch Together. Tumblers. Sucks Watch Together. Letterboxd. Kirby ACT and Kylie Gallagher. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in a week. Quack, 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 qu